0: I joined the ATS when I was 18, 18, 19, and went off to Edinburgh for army training. Food for Thought, Episode 1 Martha Bruce was born here in Scotland and lives in Fife. In this episode, she talks to us about the role of food during wartime and shares her personal memories. Martha Bruce, and I'm from Scotland, and I live in the village where I was born. My family used to own the whole village here, and they live in a big house and I rent a small house smaller house from them. So I suppose you could say my brother is the laird of this community, and he used to be feel very responsible for the whole thing. And we, we were brought up to respect everybody and fit in where we, where we could. So that as a small girl, I just remember being up in the big house and just feeling part of the community. So does food have a strong place in your community? I think it does because this community was just a small Scottish village and because of two world wars it got a lot of newcomers who weren't even necessarily Scottish, they might have been English and have completely different habits. But in the big house that I talked about before we were self-supporting in that my father also had a home farm and that provided milk and um, cereals and he had a beef herd and a herd of sheep so that food came from the estate and it also went to, to a lot of the villagers because they worked in the estate and as part of their wages they might have received For instance, pheasants and um, rabbits and anything that was being provided for the big house was also available to them. And the house I now live in was the head gardener's house and it was surrounded by vegetable gardens and fruit, apples, plums and pears. And of course quite, quite a number of the villagers worked for the estate and provided food not only for the big house but also for other people in the village who could come and buy it. During childhood in the big house, it was quite fantastic because there was a a hierarchy of people like the cook and the butler and they all had servants took off after to them so that the house was actually providing for about 20 people. And we were in the nursery with a nanny and we had very basic food, for instance porridge for breakfast always. And we had um, mid-morning snack. Then we had lunch and high tea. Whereas my parents not only had breakfast but they had quite a big lunch and a bigger dinner. And I remember one of the servants who wrote her story putting in it, the aristocracy, do eat a tremendous amount. So obviously we were consuming far more than quite a lot of people who were working for us. But all our servants in the house received their midday meal and their tea as part of their wages. So my mother... Really didn't do things herself, but she had to organize everything <laughs> so that everybody was quite happy in their place of work. Well, I certainly didn't learn to cook from my mother because she couldn't cook, but Um, I learnt from the head cook, who had been sent by my grandfather to Switzerland to to learn fancy French cooking. So I learnt quite a lot um, before I went to boarding school. And so what did you do once you left boarding school? It was practically the war, because I was um, 16, 17, just getting on 17. And I wasn't old enough to join in the forces, because you had to be 18. So I had learned to drive, and I drove a small van uh, under the auspices of the YWCA, and we went round visiting the uh, gun sites and... Um, uh, what's the other thing? The small units that were set up to um, safeguard the dockyard of Rosyth, which was the main Scottish... Um, centre for the fleet, the British fleet, and uh, we used to go with uh, flasks of tea and uh, we could take messages and go once a week to each of the searchlights or whatever it was, and uh, they could ask, ask us to do things that they needed. And I remember that was how I learnt a few Scottish names, Galluses, which I hadn't come across even at the age of 17. I think in wartime, it was quite interesting, really, in this village because we were in a protected area. I can't remember what it was actually called, but the children were evacuated from it, the young children. And my um, younger brother and sister, the youngest of the family, were sent up to near Inverness in a little cottage up there with the nanny that they had. And my parents were deeply involved in the war effort, because my father was the Lord Lieutenant, and my mother was in the WRVS, and she was sort of head for half of Scotland. Now, during that time, um, the uh, servants at Hall were reduced to a skeleton that was just a cook, and sort of one, one or two maids to keep the place clean. Um, and so meals were still provided, so I, I was just eating meals that had been provided for me, and my mother had decided what the, the recipes were to be mm-hmm. and what we were to eat. But that was when rationing was on. But we were lucky, because living there, we really practically had rabbit for every meal, and we also had pigeon, for a shot. I joined the ATS when I was 18, 18, 19 and went off to Edinburgh for army training. And um, that was where I met a lot of other girls who had come from all over Scotland uh, who had also volunteered for the ATS. So we went through all the examinations and were told what we could train for for our intelligence group. And I was told that I could do what. Was then called OFC, which was um, Operator Fire Control. Now under radar, and uh, so I was quite happy about that because my father, in the First World War, had served as a gunner. So I thought, well, that was quite good. I was following in his footsteps to be in the Royal Artillery. So, when you were in the army, obviously that's a completely different community, and. Was was food important at that time in that community, mm-hmm. especially in the recruit training, because it was the dining room was in a hangar, and all the food came out of tin, great big tins, divided into twelve. So twelve girls sat round a table, and one of, one of you had to serve it out, and it was very stodgy and obviously rationed. So wasn 't much um, well I suppose it was value to you, but it was fat making it wasn 't um, um, the same diet as I would would have been accustomed mm. to, and it was the only time in my life that I ever felt i couldn 't eat something because it, the tins are all greasy, and you know, it was just unpleasant um, and it improved greatly when I went down to the the um Radar training place, food was much better. But obviously they were getting the same rations, but they were the cooks were better. And so back in the village, how did rationing affect the villagers and how did they manage to sustain themselves? Well, I think everybody. Learned to cook in a different way and made the best of the rations. And some people managed better than others. But basically they were all really handy cooks and wrote cookery books to help other people who who couldn't use the rations so ably. And it meant there were a lot of families where the men were away and the women were there and it was a strong group of um, land girls that I got to know really well afterwards when I came back to the village um, eventually. What sort of recipes were in those cookbooks? There was recipes recipe of how to use um, powdered eggs And all the things that were provided because certain things were. I mean, there was practically no fresh food other than what had been grown locally. So, people that had allotments and gardens um, were very important in the village. Food for Thought, A Life in Four Courses is delivered by MECOP and funded by the Heritage Lottery Fund. This episode was produced by Emma-Jane Harrington and Ciarán Earls. Interviewer was Michelle Coop. Special thanks to Martha Bruce for sharing her stories with us. To learn more about our work, visit mcop.org.uk.